All right. We are back with Dr. Benjamin Markham from the Stephenville Medical and Surgical Center. Dr. Markham, thank you for being with us again today. We really appreciate your time. Sure thing. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to get started. You know, uh, school here at Tarleton and school in Stephenville is about to start. And at Tarleton, they're looking for students and faculty and staff who do not have uh, COVID-19 symptoms to take an oral swab test. Um, I was just curious, uh, would there what the need is for uh, those kind of base line test and uh, how satisfied are you with uh, testing accuracy right now? And this is an oral swab, so maybe even specifically that method. Right. So I haven't actually looked at that specific swab. I think that one comes out of California. Okay. Um, it's a company out there. I think it has a pretty good sensitivity and specificity. I'm not sure exactly what those numbers are. Okay. But, um, you know, as we've gone through testing, our sensitivities and specificities have rapidly improved. Um, in the, in the last couple of months. And so our testing is much more accurate than it was even two or three months ago. Okay. And so I have, I have pretty good faith that, that, um, that, that it's a good plan. And the thing about testing is that it really, it matters less what the specificity and sensitivity is, the more people you test. And so I really applaud Tarleton's effort to do some baseline testing just okay. to try to, try to pick up if there's an uptick and, and see that, the more people you have tested, really regardless of how good the test is, the more you you can trust the results and the better feel you get for the statistical um, prevalence of the, the virus in a population. And so I think this is a really good plan. Yeah. Um, if they had the resources, of course, the more people you can test, the better. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, because you get a little a wider swath of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a great place to start and, and ought to pick up an, a statistical uptick in cases so that we can say, okay, well, we may be on the verge of an outbreak, yeah. you know, and then we can get some public health initiatives in place to try to protect the faculty and staff over there. And so, and then I know also, you know, over at, over at Tarleton, they are really doing a great job of trying to protect each other and keeping the PPE on and, and uh, doing social distancing and those kinds of things. So I think, you know, they, they're kind of like in a little bubble there. And so I think just kind of yeah. keeping the pulse on the, uh, the pulse on the students. Now, we're about to have a whole bunch of students come from all over the, the state and For country sure. who have had varying levels of exposure. Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, random testing, um, especially as we get started, to try to identify cases and then limit that spread, I think is, is a fantastic idea. So okay. I, I applaud them for doing yeah, that. Yeah, and, I, you know, I can attest myself that since the beginning, Tarleton has uh, taken things very seriously and uh, has done a lot to protect uh, students, faculty, and staff. And, uh, you know, if you are interested, if you're here at Tarleton and you're interested in uh, volunteering for that, I think you can find the info at tarleton.edu slash roadmap. So um, I wanted to talk about, you know, we've talked about potential vaccines in the future. And um, I just wanted to, a question that's been on my mind is uh, if they're, you know, in the future for a a potential vaccine, how long could a uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus uh, vaccine uh, immunity possibly last? And how often would people need to be vaccinated? Do you see that being like a once a year thing? I mean, I know we can't say exactly right now, but just uh, kind of initial thoughts on that. Well, the answer is it depends. Um, You know, it depends on what the vaccine target you know is it targeting the spike protein is it targeting something that is less likely to mutate um you know or are we targeting uh, more of a stable target or is it a moving target and so you know those those are those kinds of things answers are going to be remain to be seen we have this moderna trial that i'm really excited about where they're going to vaccinate 30,000 people and then give another 30,000 people fake vaccines mm-hmm. and, and then kind of compare 
Um, well, actually, I think it's 15 and 15. Okay. And then they're going to compare and see, you know, you know, what's the prevalence of um, of vaccine injury and what's the prevalence of uh, protection from COVID. And and so, you know, it's a really good trial. Um, they're doing it pretty quickly. Um, we're just not going to know how long those antibody levels last okay. until we can study it. You know, I mean, yeah. there's there's just no way to know. Um, the so the early studies are that the um, antibody response is certainly more robust than if you just get infected with the virus. Like you actually have more antibodies from the vaccine than you do okay. um, if you get infected. And yeah. so that's that's encouraging. And hopefully they're a little bit more permanent as well, because, you know, some of the, the in, in some patients, the antibodies aren't lasting as long as we thought they would. Yeah. So uh, you, just, uh, you don't know. Vaccines are different. You know, sure. I, I had the hepatitis B vaccine when I was in um, medical school mm-hmm. and my antibody response was so robust. We actually did a titer to measure my antibody response uh-huh. that I will not need another vaccination for hepatitis B in my lifetime. Okay. But we know that the whooping cough vaccine in most people, the immunity wanes after about 10 years. And so that's why we're going back and re-immunizing people with whooping cough vaccine, um, like when they're grandparents, when they are grandparents and they're having young ones, because yeah. oftentimes the grandparents are no longer immune. And so yeah. over time, we've been able to determine which diseases need to have repeat vaccination and which ones don't. And so uh, it's just going to take time to know our science is, is still too young. Yeah. And, and doing tests like that with uh, 30,000 people, that's getting into a number of participants that can really tell them something, like can give them Absolutely, good information. You know, right. You know, those of you who study statistics know that the more the more cases you study, the more power a study has. You know, yeah. if I study 100 people and my partner studies 10,000 people, well, his, his, his uh, study has much more power, more statistical power than mine does. Yeah. And so... 30,000 people is, is, a, is a good start. I okay. mean, that's a great number. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you something uh, specifically. Um, you know, people right now uh, don't quite know what to do, you know, you with uh, going into stores and going into businesses for things. I wanted to ask you, um, how comfortable are you right now wearing a mask and going into a store? Would you suggest that people just shop for essentials or is it okay to, um, if you're protecting yourself, to go in and just shop around at places, or would you still suggest to uh, kind of keep that limited? It depends on the risk of exposure to COVID-19, you okay. know, or like like the risk of what of your personal risk. So if you are somebody who has COPD and diabetes and is 65 years old, maybe you don't want to go shopping for frivolous things and yeah. you might want to do that on the internet. Yeah. If you are young and basically healthy, and uh, feel like you can accept the risk of, of becoming infected, then you can be a little bit more lax in your shopping habits. Regardless of who you are, I think you ought to wear a mask and wash your hands, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of constantly when you're in there. And try to stay away from people. Let's try to socially distance. If somebody is looking at what you want to look at um, in the aisle, just patiently wait until they're done, and then yeah. you can go over there and look at it. You don't need to sidle up right next to them mm-hmm. and, and go looking at it. So, you know, every individual has to make that decision for themselves. Um, you know, I personally need to go to McCoy's and buy some hardware for my house, and I'm going to go do that here in a little bit. And I'm going to yeah. wear a mask, and I'm going to use hand sanitizer when I go do it. Um, and so uh, I think it's I think it's fine to do. I don't think you have to be a hermit and, and never go into a store. But if you are one of those more high-risk people, uh, then you just need to really be careful and make sure it's something that, that it's worth the risk. Yeah, you right. know, everything we do is a risk-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. Is, is the benefit of me going into this store and buying this 
whatever it is, outweigh the risk of me potentially getting COVID. And then if you think the benefit's worth it, well, then go in there and take the risk. If you don't think it's worth it, then don't. So really take the time to weigh it before you do it rather than just yeah. uh, being cavalier about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I also wanted to ask, you know, I hadn't heard a lot about this since uh, kind of the beginning of things, but where are we now with the uh, transfer through touching surfaces? And like, if you're take an item off the shelf at a store and put it back, like where, where are we with the uh, surface spread and just through touch? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I haven't seen any recent studies. Last time I looked at it, they were leaning more towards the uh, respiratory droplet okay. um, being the, being more likely the, the source of the spread. I know that viable um, RNA has been uh, isolated off of surfaces, but just because there's viral RNA on the surface doesn't mean you're going to transfer it that way. Do I think it's possible you can you can get it from touching a contaminated surface? Absolutely. Okay. I think it's more likely to get it through inhaled respiratory droplets at this point. So maybe that not be your uh, be a, a main concern for you if you're uh, out and about, but definitely uh, considering it and using hand sanitizer and washing your hands. And, yeah. Yeah. I still I still use hand sanitizer when I touch a public surface. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, football and volleyball practice have uh, started here in Stephenville. Um, do you have any thoughts or, on that or advice for parents maybe nervous about sending their kids to organized activities like that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it, that's such a tough one. You know. Yeah. I mean, we just have to really be careful about sending our kids if they're sick. You know, because you you would expect the rest of the team to protect your student and not send their child if they have a runny nose or a fever. Yeah. And so if, if your child is sick, then you need to keep them out. And I don't care what game it is. I don't care if it's a championship. I don't care if it's a rival. I don't care if it's their senior season. If they're sick, they do not need to go to practice. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's okay to go ahead and have these things and move on because I think the mental health of our students is very important as well. Mm-hmm. But I think we just all need to use our brains and be very, very smart and respect this disease. Yeah. You know, and so if if we have a, a student who's sick, then we better not send them. So just a and, responsibility uh, to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. We all have that responsibility. And it it is terribly inconvenient if you can't work because your child has the sniffles. And, you know, usually you might send them because it's just a little bit of cold symptoms. Mm-hmm. But at this point in our in our medical um, our medical existence, we do not know for sure when it's little sniffles, especially in a kid, if it's COVID or not. You yeah. just can't know. Uh, and so you don't need to take that risk. And, and I would, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, my children who are five and eight years old, I'm hoping that their peers, parents, um, don't take the risk also. Yeah. So just because to, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, it, it affects so many people, you know, mm-hmm. if you send your kid to school sick and now my child has been exposed to a sick person. Now I can't, uh, come to work for 14 days. Yeah. Um, and take care of patients. And so now, you know, I see about 30 patients a day. So yeah. if, you, if you imagine, well, 10 days of lost work, that's 300 people now who don't have access to their physician because oh, yeah. they their kids at school. So yeah. the, the ripple effect of every decision is so complex that we just have to really be thoughtful and smart about what we do. We don't have to be fearful. Mm-hmm. We have to be respectful of the virus and we have to be intelligent and do what we need to do. And, and so as a community, that's everybody's personal response. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like maybe a year ago, I mean, my wife uh, is a teacher here in town, which we talked about. And um, she's, you know, mentioned that parents, you know, might 
if their kid is running a slight fever, might give them some Tylenol and send them for the day and then kind of take care of it at the end of the day. But now is probably not the time to do that. Be a little more vigilant about things like that. As a physician, that behavior is a little bit irksome. And, you know, we know it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll they'll give the kid Tylenol and then they'll be in my office a little bit later that day because the school sent them home because surprise, surprisingly, the fever came back. Right? Yeah, and Tylenol doesn't last eight hours. Right. Doesn't last the whole time. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's kind of like one of those things you kind of roll your eyes and you just go ahead and go see the kid. Mm-hmm. But at this point, that behavior is an unacceptable behavior. Yeah. That is something that you cannot do. Okay. Uh, you have to keep your kid. You have to make an alternative plan. Yeah. Because we all have the responsibility to protect our schools, to protect our students, to protect our, st- our teachers, uh, the custodians who work at the school. We have a responsibility to protect our economy. Sure. And if we have to shut down a whole school and quarantine a bunch of parents, uh, because somebody irresponsibly sent their child to school, then, then you know, it, it's a huge economic impact. And so if we're going to protect our livelihood, then we're all going to have to make the tough decision whenever the time comes. Yeah, and hopefully most jobs understand that at this point, that you need to stay home for that time with your kid and, um, you know, the, the risk of uh, you coming back and interacting with coworkers might mean more people are gone. So hopefully there is a more understanding right. about things like that now as well. Right. Yeah. Well, Dr. Markham, thank you so much for coming on with us again today. We really appreciate it, uh, your uh, thoughts and My wisdom pleasure. about this. And we hope to talk to you again mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. And uh, that was uh, Dr. Benjamin Markham from the Stephenville Medical and Surgical Center. We'll be right back.